Before we get in the message this morning, we got to talk real quick about this. Can you go back there somewhere, Noah? I think it was up there. Yeah, growing your giving in 2023. I, I've been trying to talk about this the whole month of February. Most churches talk about this in January because New Year, new budget, New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. And we had other stuff going on in January. And so we've been talking about this uh, throughout the month of February. Four ideas. And I'll hit them real quick. Number one was uh, set a recurring giving schedule. Simplest and most effective way to grow your giving. It, when, I, when I did this, it completely revolutionized my giving. Because before, I tried to do it every week before, but we're not here every week. Uh, we don't always remember our checks every week. We don't always remember to drop. We bring it and forget to drop it. Or sometimes we spend a little bit too much on the weekend, and it doesn't feel like we can really give what we had planned on giving on Sunday. Uh, when you set it on a schedule, it, it kind of erases all that. And so that's been... Uh, super helpful way for me to grow my giving. Uh, number two was what? Oh, calculate your percentage of giving. You know, and that's just basically about be conscious of what you're giving. Sometime around the first of the year, sit down, do the math, and figure out what you're giving, and if it's what you want to give, and then adjust accordingly. Number three was cover the fees. Visa and MasterCard have become part of our budget now, and that's just because most of us give digitally, and I love that. I'm glad that we're able to give digitally, but... Um, we do have to pay, you know, the two, two and a half percent to them, and you can cover it by going on our bank draft program, which our bank waives the fees for us, thankfully, or you can cover it through Simple Give uh, if you continue to give through Simple Give. And then the last one I'm going to mention is uh, know the need. And this is not for everybody because some of you don't care. <laughs> I mean, this is like people are motivated to give by different things. Some of us give according to vision. Some give according to habit and some give according to need. Like some of us, like the Hope Center gets us fired up. Like give me a vision and I love giving to that kind of stuff and we will, we will rise up and meet that vision. And uh, some of us are like, it's just, I, it is a habit for me. It is a regular weekly thing for me. This is more about, you know, making sure I'm practicing generosity so it's, I don't, I don't need the, the vision, I don't need the need. Some of us like to know the need. I mean, some of us are like, Tell me what the budget is, tell me what you need, and I'll try to help you meet it. You know, and, and that's, we haven't done that this year, and I'm not going to do a whole budget report, but our budget this year is 19875 a Sunday. That's a lot. You know, that's, a, that's a big budget. It, it's in line with what we did last year. I think our elders set it at a 3% increase, uh, somewhere around that 3% increase. And so it's doable, and we can, we can do it, but uh, that's, that's our budget for this year. And I'm going to try to be better this year about uh, giving you those numbers. I, I'm supposed to put them at the end of my email every month, and half the time I forget. But I'm going to try to remember to make sure I put that at the end of the email, just so you know, here's where our budget is, here's where our giving's at, here's how over or short we are, and just where you can, you can see that information. So, all right, that's the last thing I'm going to say about giving for a little while, a couple of weeks at least, maybe a month. Uh, I, I honestly don't like talking about that's why I rushed through it I, I don't like talking about giving because uh, it makes me uncomfortable and nervous because I'm worried about how it's going to be received and uh, I know I have to talk about it that's part of you know if we're going to have a ministry we got to fund the ministry so you got to ask people to help fund the ministry so I, I get it that I have to talk about it but it does make me uncomfortable to talk about it um, however it doesn't make me nearly as uncomfortable as today's topic. <laughs> so if I had to choose between, and today's topic is culture and politics, in case you didn't know. If you just showed up today blind, you're like, what are they talking about at church today? Culture and politics. Um, it, 
If I had to choose between preaching a message on giving and preaching a message on culture and politics, I would choose giving every single time because you will be far more understanding and forgiving if I'm going to talk about giving because you're like, well, you know, I get it. I know he's got to talk about this stuff. You know, I don't like talking about it, but I get it. We got to talk about it. We got to fund the ministry. I, I understand. When it comes to culture and politics, we're not nearly as forgiving or understanding. It's like, I, I just don't get it. Why does he got to talk about this stuff? I just don't get it. We shouldn't have to talk about this stuff in church. I mean, why in the world would you take a highly sensitive, highly emotional issue and talk about that? You know a bunch of people are going to disagree with that. You know churches are dividing over that. You know denominations are dividing over that. We just, just don't touch it. We should not talk about this stuff. And please, please, if I never hear another message on politics, I'll be happy. So just don't, just stay away from all of it. I, I completely understand those concerns. Trust me, I've felt them all week, okay? I understand those concerns. I have the same concerns. It's just that we happen to be in a series on uh, deconstruction, and we're talking about why people are leaving the faith or why people are thinking about leaving the faith or why people are leaving church or why people are thinking about leaving church. And if we're going to talk about it, one of the big reasons why is the cultural wars and the political wars. And uh, I combined them in one message because I didn't want to spend two Sundays on this. You know, like several people on the Murray Hills family were like, make this a two-part series. I'm like, no, no, I'm only getting shot at one Sunday. Uh, I'm, this is not a two-part message. But, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons people are deconstructing, and it's a big reason, because either they don't like the way the church is engaged in the war, or they're just sick of war altogether. They're just, they're just tired of it. And so we, we have to talk about it because we want to understand, and understanding is the key to creating a dialogue that actually changes hearts and minds. Uh, the reality is this. Nobody's mind changes when we boycott Disney. Um... Nobody's mind changes when we rail against progressive cities in the month of June. Nobody's mind changes when we shout at each other over social media or share competing memes and reels in our stories. Nobody's mind changes when we retreat into our respective corners and isolate ourselves from anyone who thinks differently from us. And nobody's mind changes when we politicize and weaponize our faith and go to war against all our perceived enemies. There is a better approach, and it's... It's, it's in here. Uh, Peter talked about it in his letter to Christians who were trying to navigate a difficult culture. Uh, people who, Christians who were navigating, in, in his day, a, a culture that was hostile to them. And they were being persecuted. And Peter said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And he said, always be prepared to give an answer. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that last part is super important because as Christians, we've been prepared to give answers in the past. We've had a lot of answers. We haven't always done it with gentleness and respect. And if you look at the entire context of what he says in the third chapter, he talks about this. He talks about being sympathetic. He talks about loving one another. He talks about being compassionate and humble. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Peter, in that context, is quoting uh, the 34th Psalm. And as I read it this week, I had a question. How well did we do that in the last national election? On either side, the Christian right or the Christian left. And I'm sad to say that we even have such sides as the Christian right and the Christian left, that we would put Christian before either of those titles. But, I mean, how well did we do that? How were, were we sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble? Did we, did we rise above the fray and resist the temptation to return insult for insult? Did we take the high road? Or was the only thing that mattered to us was winning? Did, did we actually buy into the lie that character really doesn't matter as long as you win? As long as you get the results you want, that's really all that matters. It doesn't, morals and character doesn't matter as long as you get the results that you want. The ends justify uh, the means. And, and you know, it doesn't matter behave, how you behave. What matters is how you win. Uh, what matters is that you win. And I think, honestly, what we've discovered is that works for elections. But it doesn't work with Scripture. And I think what Peter, in, in the third chapter here, and I, I would encourage you to read this whole chapter. I didn't want to take the time and, and you know, exegete the whole chapter right here. But I think what Peter is basically telling us is we should pursue the ways of Christ over the ways of man. That our, our reputation as believers matters more than um, our political or cultural victories because we're representatives of Christ to a dying world. And, it, and if we... Um, let our reputation go in the name of winning, that's not really what, what Christ calls us to do. And I think um, Paul says the same thing. John says the same thing. Jesus says the same thing. When I read through the scriptures, none of them really tried to change people through the ballot box. They changed people by walking in step with the Spirit. And I'm not saying at all that, like, you know, that you, you know, you can't vote or you can't run for office or, you know, you can't engage in political issues or you can't have political opinions and all that stuff. No, we can have all of those things as Christians. We, we should have, you know, we should have political opinions. We should um, engage with that. We should not do it according to the ways of man. We should do it according, or the ways of the flesh, Paul would say. Don't do it according to the ways of the flesh. Do it according to the Spirit. And the Spirit is defined by love and um, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and, and self-control. That's the way the Bible encourages us to engage uh, with politics. And we don't get a pass on the fruits of the Spirit because we say, well, you know, I get all that, but it's just politics. This is, you know, got to fight dirty. That's just the way politics are. And if we're going to win, we're going to have to fight dirty. And I just... Uh, no, we're, we're still the people of Jesus, and we still follow a teacher that teaches us uh, way more about how to lose than how to win. And actually, he, actually, he said that's how you win, is by losing. Um, and so that's, you know, we, have to, we have to take that approach. I think Peter's got a whole lot to say about engagement with culture and with politics, although that's all I'm really going to say about politics. I want to spend the rest of the time talking about culture. I actually preached this message on politics way back in June of, and I, Scott, Scott did that picture. I'm not really happy with that picture, but that's okay. Um, you now know the color of the shirt I was wearing when I preached the, the message. It was in June of 2022, so if you have not heard that, you can go to YouTube and, and Google politics in the American church and on our webpage, and you'll see uh, what I had to say about all of that. So 
Uh, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about culture. And uh, I know that these two things are very difficult to unravel. It's really hard to tell when culture ends and politics begins or when politics ends and culture begins. They've become so intertwined. And um, some of that is because we have political leaders who truly care about certain cultural issues. Absolutely. They, they're... They are leading by their conviction and whichever side of the aisle they're on, they truly care about these cultural issues. We also have a lot of political leaders that know that the quickest way to get office and to hold power and have position is to co-opt cultural issues. Because if I can get a bunch of people stirred up and scared about something, I can, I can get into office pretty quick. And so that happens a lot as well. And, it, you know, there's all of this, you know, everybody on the left is woke and everybody on the right is hate speech. And I'm... It gets very fuzzy sometimes, and we have to be careful in either arena, and I think Jesus has some advice for us on engaging with culture. This is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, uh, where Jesus, he's sending his disciples out into the world, and he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And I honestly have always been confused by this phrase, Uh, like this... uh, I've never really been quite able to wrap my mind around it. And there is some ambiguity to it. I mean, he's using, there's a little bit of like, what exactly is he talking about? What does it mean to be shrewd as a snake? Or what does it mean to be innocent as a dove? Uh, I think the the main thing is he's talking about how believers should engage in an unbelieving and sometimes hostile world. And he's telling us it's going to take wisdom and and innocence. You know, it's going to take some discernment to know how to engage in, in an unbelieving world or a world that may be hostile to you. Jesus described that as sheep among wolves. He later in uh, John 17, before he went to the cross, he kind of talked about this same thing. And, and you're familiar with this. We usually, uh, you know, the Bible says we should be in the world but not of the world, right? Well, actually, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it says something close to it, and it's right here in John 17. So it says... Uh, Jesus is saying, I've given them, talking about his disciples, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So, so Jesus didn't, that's where we get the phrase, in the world but not of the world. Jesus didn't pray that we would totally disengage with culture, and we would totally just get out of it and isolate ourselves in our churches and, you know, build up defensive walls and castles and fire at all our enemies. He says, no, don't take them out of the world, but um, remind them that they're not to be of the world. Jesus has set us, that's the concept of holiness. Jesus has set us apart for something. Uh, Paul talked about this as well in Romans, and this is one of the best passages about this, Romans 12 too. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's several other places in Scripture that talk about this. And I think that's our biggest challenge when it comes to culture wars. We somehow have to rise above the fray because we're called to be people of grace and not people of war. Um, I think sometimes we fight battles that we shouldn't fight. And we make enemies out of people that we should be loving. And sometimes we, we pick the wrong battles and the church's reputation or in some cases the, the reputation of Christ is, is damaged in the process. And what I find interesting reading through these passages, and I looked at a bunch this week, is that Jesus was not a very good culture warrior. 
He just wasn't good at it. Um, and Paul wasn't very good at it either. Maybe Paul was a little better than Jesus about the, being the culture warrior, but he wasn't real good at it either. Um, he could have been a lot harder on Athens when he showed up in that city. Peter wasn't great at it, and James wasn't great at it, and John wasn't great at it. Uh, all of them spent far more time addressing the sins of religion than the sins of the world. And Paul actually, you know, last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul was talking about how to deal with sexual immorality in the church, and he was talking about you should deal with it. But it's interesting to me when you go to that passage, Paul also said this in that same passage. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And I'm like, Paul, that's a terrible strategy. That, I mean, how are you going to fight a culture war if you won't even judge the people that you're fighting against? You won't even condemn the people that you're fighting against. I mean, how in the world is this going to work? And we often do the exact opposite of this passage right here. We judge those outside and don't worry about those inside because we, we're... Uh, it's much easier to judge other people's sins than our own sins. It's much easier to try to fix other people's sin than our own sin. And it's, it's much easier to repent of other people's sins than our own sins. <laughs> and so we, we often take the opposite approach. And we're trying to, to fix the world. We're trying to cure the world. We're trying to correct the world. We're trying to condemn the world. You know, we're, we're trying to battle the world. And... Um, you don't really see a whole lot of that in Scripture. Um, Rachel Held Evans, I, don't, I should have put this quote on the screen, but in, in the book Searching for Sunday, she was talking about this and how a lot of times we um, churches fight the wrong battles and we engage with culture in order to fix it or in order to cure it. And she said this, and I liked this quote, The truth is the church doesn't offer a cure. It doesn't offer a quick fix. The church offers death and resurrection. The church offers the messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work of healing and reconciliation. The church offers grace. And the reason I like that quote is, to me, that, that's a great definition of grace. It is messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work. The, the work of healing and reconciliation is messy. And uh, the question that I wrestle with today is, how do we had hold grace for others in a culture that is moving away from grace. Like our, our culture, grace is something that's not offered in our culture. If you don't believe me, log into Twitter. Grace is not offered in our culture. If you disagree with me, you are the enemy. If you think differently than me, you are the enemy. If you vote differently from me, you are the enemy. And it's not just that you're the enemy. You are evil and you are to be destroyed at all costs. I mean, there's, there's no grace in the culture at large. So how does a church, as a place of grace, how does a church hold grace in a culture that doesn't want us to hold grace? Because the church is tempted to follow the exact same ways of man and just say, well, we got to be a right-wing church or a left-wing church, and, and that way people can just make their pick, and they'll know that they're accepted in their group, and we're going to condemn all the other evil people. Um, how, do we do, how do we hold grace knowing that other believers and other churches may misinterpret our grace as acquiescence or approval? Or how do we hold grace in a world uh, of non-believers knowing that they may be offended by the insinuation 
that we actually think they're in need of grace. I mean, so, I mean, like it's, one side is like, like, how dare you welcome sinners in the church? And the other side is, how dare you call me a sinner? You know, it's, it's messy. I mean, it, it is messy. And this church's approach has always been uh, to walk what Andy Stanley calls the, the messy middle ground of grace and truth. And that's, that's what this church has always tried to do, to, to walk the, the, the church has to navigate cultural issues and also political issues, but I think more so the cultural, we have to, to navigate that in the messy middle ground of, of grace and truth. Uh, the culture is not a battle to win. It's not a, a question to answer or a problem to solve. It's, it's a tension to manage. We have to man, we live in this tension of grace and truth, knowing that sometimes we're going to have to, we may fall a little too heavy on the truth side. Sometimes we may fall a little too heavy on the grace side, but we're trying to manage this tension of grace and truth. And it is, as, as Rachel Held Evans said, it's messy and it's inconvenient and it's gut-wrenching. It'd be far easier to pick a side. Way easier to pick a side. It'd be easier to just say, we're, we're an all-truth church. And every, the answer to every cultural issue is black and white. And our pastor can give you the answer. He'll just preach on it, give you the answer. And that, or we'll put it in our statement of faith. We're an all-truth church. We have the answer to every question. There is no gray. And what that ensures is that we're going to have a church of people who look like us, think like us, act like us, talk like us. We, we're not ever going to have to deal with anybody that challenges our beliefs because we're going to tell them on the front end, this is black and white and, and this is who's in and out. That's easy. That is an easier approach. It is an easier approach to just be an all-grace church, too, and say, you know what? We don't have any beliefs. We don't have any standards. We don't have any values. We don't really care. Believe what you want to believe. There is no truth. Uh, what you feel is your truth. You know, it doesn't, you know, just come on. It don't matter. That's easy, too. I mean, in, in the first one, community is defined in very narrow terms, and you know who's in and out. In the second one, there's not really a community because there's no shared values or no shared, shared beliefs. And in the first one, there's no grace, which doesn't seem like a very biblical option. And in the second one, there's no truth. And that doesn't seem like a very biblical option either. And so we've, we've tried to do both. And the reason is because of this right here. What did Jesus do when he entered the world? John, and when John introduced Jesus, the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. And he says, we've seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later, he, in verse 17, he says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so, if you look at the interactions of Jesus with people in his day, they were all defined by grace and truth. Jesus never compromised truth, but he never compromised grace either. It was, I mean, his interaction, he, he hung out with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors and drunks, in the same way he hung out with Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And he was often more comfortable with the former than the latter. And the latter often misinterpreted why he was hanging out with the former. And he called, they called him a friend of sinners. They called him a glutton and a drunkard because of the people he hung out with. But Jesus never compromised truth or, or grace. And I know that we're human and that's not going to be true of us. There will be times that we compromise truth, and there will be times that we compromise grace. And because we're human, we, we're not Jesus, but we're called to walk in the ways of Jesus. So we, we, we try to uphold the truth of Scripture as we understand it while holding it in grace and holding it, allowing for, for differences and holding it, uh, you know, allowing room 
for the Spirit to work. And it's not easy. It's not easy because the middle is where you get shot at by both sides. Right? I mean, the, the, the middle is where you go. We're not going to be conservative enough for the conservatives. And we're not going to be progressive enough for the progressives. But honestly, I don't care about being a conservative church. And I don't care about being a progressive church. I care about being a Jesus church. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. These, these labels that we're putting on churches and the labels that we're putting on other Christians needs to stop. So, let me give you an example. Of what I'm talking about. See how much time I got. I don't want to give you this example. Because uh, you probably have liked the message up until this point. Or maybe. Some, maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you're like, maybe you haven't liked it. But I think most of you are probably like, I, I, I can agree with pretty much all of that. But the example I'm going to give you, not all of you will agree with. There's no way. Because there's just no way. If we're going to talk about cultural issues and, and political issues, and I felt like it was disingenuous to like talk about them in generic terms the whole time, although that's really, really, really what I wanted to do. And I'm still thinking about maybe doing it. But no, I can't at this point. I'm too far in. Um, you got to talk about real issues. And, and the biggest one in both of those arenas is, is gay marriage. Um, 15 or 20 years ago, people would have come to this church and new members would have come in and they would have wanted to meet with me and they would have said, hey, what's the church's position on uh, divorce and remarriage? And I would have had to try to navigate that issue. And it's a difficult question to answer. You know, I'm trying to figure out what, what does the scripture teach and what does grace call us to do? And I'd have to answer that question. Um, 10 years ago, it might have been, uh, well, what's the church's view on women's role? You know, that, what, what do you, how, do you, how do you view that issue? And it, there's scriptures that talk about that. And then there's, I'm like, so we would have to navigate that issue. Inevitably, now, it is, it is almost always, what's the church's position on, on gay marriage? And uh, I don't like the question. I understand why people are asking. You've got to ask it. I get it. Uh, I don't like it because it feels like a past-fail question. Like, I feel like... no. You, you already know what your, what your answer is when you come and ask me that question. And so if my answer aligns with your answer, great, we're in. If my answer don't, <laughs> we're out. Um, and so it's a, I struggle to answer it because, like, entire denominations are splitting over this. I mean, this is not, this is not like some easy thing to navigate. I mean, entire denominations are splitting over. And every church is trying to answer it. And every church is trying to, to, to determine how they're going to navigate it. And again, I think... There's a couple of easy answers. One, I can say, oh, well, we don't, we don't have a position on that. Just whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. Just come on. Um, the other would be, oh, we have a position, and it's right here, and it's in black and white. And uh, if you agree with this, come on. And if you don't, get out. Um, there's a lot of churches in our area, and I'm talking like not just Columbia. I'm talking bigger than that. There's a lot of churches that are taking that approach. And I'm starting to notice that in state, every church has a statement of faith. And in the statements of faith, that issue is starting to show up in statements of faith. So here's what we believe about Jesus. Here's what we believe about the Bible. Here's what we believe about God. Here's what we believe about the Holy Spirit and salvation. That used to be a pretty standard statement of faith. Marriage is starting to make its way into all those statements of faith now. And um, I understand why they're doing it. They're putting it on their website. So if, if I put it on the website and you read it before you come, then you never have to come and I never have to deal with the, uh, the discomfort and the tension and I never have to answer those questions and I never have to deal with, quote, unquote, those people. Um, and so that, you know, it's put it, in, put it in the statement of faith. That's the easiest way to do it. There's a church that just did that in um, 
Jacksonville, Florida. Did y'all see this story in Jacksonville, Florida? You look at Google this. Uh, Jacksonville, Florida, there was a church that recently developed a statement on um, human sexuality and marriage. And uh, that's not uncommon. There's a lot of churches. We have, you know, a lot of churches have statements on that. And so they developed a statement on that, and they published it. Uh, What was unique about it was they told their members, you have until March 19th to sign it, or you're out. Like, that's, uh, you can go go look at this. This was in the news, and I Googled it and looked at the church and all this. But they they gave their members until March 19th to sign the statement, or we're going to revoke your membership. And uh, they said, we're going to have all of our new members sign this statement. So the only way that you can join this church is if you sign this statement. So I got interested in it, and they got tons of videos. And, like, you know, the media got a hold of it, and you thought, oh, gosh, they're going to back down. No, they doubled down. And uh, I went and read the statement. And I, I agreed with the content of the statement, the, the theological position. I was like, I think I'm in, a, I think I'm in agreement with the theological position. What I disagree with is making that a test of fellowship and making that a test of salvation and saying, if you disagree with this, then you're out. If you're not willing to sign this, then you're out. I get super leery anytime a church wants to take any issue, including a sensitive issue like this, any issue, and elevate it to the same level of Jesus. I get super leery about that. I get super leery anytime a church says, well, in order to be a Christian, it's Jesus plus agreement on this position. Or it's Jesus plus, you know, agreement on this. I get super leery about that. And it's not my fault. It's this book's fault because Paul wrote a whole letter about it called Galatians. And he said, when it's Jesus plus anything else, uh uh-uh. And so um, here's the way that we've tried to navigate this issue at this church. We've chosen to walk the messy middle ground of grace and truth. And so we hold a conservative theological position. We don't believe the Bible affirms gay marriage. Um, in the Old or the New Testament, the strongest evidence being the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, that marriage is reserved for man and woman and sex is reserved for marriage, meaning that all outside of a marriage relationship, regardless of orientation, are to abstain from sexual activity. However, uh, we do believe that the Bible affirms love, and we do believe the Bible affirms treating others with kindness and respect in both the Old and the New Testament, with the strongest evidence being the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 23, where he taught us to love other people in the way we love ourselves. And there are no exceptions to that. So we are not willing to elevate this issue to a matter of salvation or fellowship. Our salvation comes through Jesus alone, and our fellowship comes through Jesus alone. And uh, neither our salvation or fellowship is based on perfect doctrine, perfect morals, or complete agreement on all matters. It's based on Jesus alone. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. Um, When you hear that, and I did read it, when you hear that, some of you are like, "I, I like that. And when you hear that, some of you are like, oh, gosh, that, i got some concerns about that statement. That's way too conservative. And others, well, that's way too progressive. And, and I, was, I was hoping you, I want to I hear more. I want to talk about this. I'm not sure I can. I, we knew that when we were working through, we worked through this back in 2015. And we've been working through it ever since. And with, with our elders, you know, just kind of going back to the scriptures and talking and how we engage culture and those things. And we worked that out in 2015. And I, I pulled it back up, the notes on the retreat. And there was a note on the bottom that I want to read to you that uh, this was not, it was just, we just had written a note on the bottom that I think is, is very telling. It says, it's virtually impossible 
to be seen as consistent and fair when grace and truth become the driving forces in a local congregation. Our position may upset folks on either side of the right or left because the grace and truth approach is often messy. We've decided to be okay with that. Our doctrinal statement is conservative. Our approach to ministry is not. Meaning we're going to welcome people and we're going to love people and we're going to treat people with respect and we're going to treat people with kindness and we're not going to tell anybody, you can't be here, get out. Uh, because it's, it's not an issue, it's a person. And it's, it's a human being. And it's somebody that whom Jesus has died for the same way he's died for us. And we're to treat people with love and treat people in the way that we want to be treated. And so we're going to walk that path. Um, we're going to teach the Bible, and we're going to try to teach the Bible in the way we understand it. And it, our teaching of the Bible may sometimes go against current cultural trends, but um, we, just, we don't have the right to compromise on either of those things. We can't compromise on, on uh, grace in the name of truth and say, you're out. We just can't. We don't, we don't have that option. Our, our option is to engage in relationship and to engage in dialogue and to engage in understanding and to, to, to walk in step with the Spirit. Here, here's what I wrote. I'll give you the outline of this, this message today, which I did not follow. But this was the, the outline that I wrote today. Was that, and in my opinion, um, this is the, the best way forward with any cultural or political issue. Now, I'm not just, not just talking about this one, but any cultural or political issue, I think this, this is the way forward. Love is our God. The Bible is our foundation. Gentleness and respect are our approach. And Jesus is our unity. And what I want to encourage you is don't forget four. <laughs> don't forget number four because it, it is super important. Uh, I think that's the way forward in any issue. This, is, we just, this just happens to be the current cultural issue. There were others before this. There will be others after this. There's many more that I'm not addressing in this topic. Um, you know, we just have to be able to walk through these things with love, with gentleness and respect, with truth, with grace, and, and unity, realizing that our, our, our unity is in Jesus alone. So let me say a word of prayer for us. Uh, none of that, I'll mention this, none of that's easy. None of that is easy. But Jesus never promised us easy. Let's pray. Father, I want to... My mouth is dry right now. Um, I want to pray that this message is received in the spirit that it was intended. And uh, I, I pray for those that, you know, the stomach is a little tighter right now and, you know, it's churning a little bit more right now because... Uh, you know, there's a lot of hurt over this issue. And uh, we as churches have not handled this well. And we have, we have not handled it with grace. And we have not handled it with love. And, um, and we, I, I repent of that. I'm, 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 I have not handled it well. I have emotion, reacted emotionally and with a gut reaction sometimes and have not handled it well. And um, I know that there's a lot of hurt and, and pain and, and trauma. There's a lot of church trauma over this issue. And, and God, you show us a way to walk in, in your truth with grace. Show us a way to hold both of those things. We, it's confusing to us sometimes. We, we get pulled in all directions. And, you know, we're watching our, we watch the news and we watch our media outlets. And they're just pulling us in all directions. Help us to, to follow the example of your son, Jesus. 
and um, to, to lead according to his ways, to treat others in the way we want to be treated, to, to love others in the way that we love ourselves, and, and just help us to practice that. And we won't always do it perfectly, and we won't always get it right, but uh, just, just help us to do that. And help us to remember as a body that our unity is found in agreement on you and your son. That's where our unity is found. And I pray that we would uphold to that uh, here at this church. Just be with us, God, as we walk this, this messy middle ground. And, and thank you for loving us and for giving us grace. And uh, it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.